On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the WWE going on a firing spree. We're going to discuss some fallings out from Raw, SmackDown, AEW, and NXT. And we're also going to have a discussion about understanding the business of your match. All that and more here on the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast. And here we go. Welcome to the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast. Heck yeah. With host Eric Fulmer. The latest news, recaps, and insight from inside the ring. WWE, NXT, AEW, and NWA. This is the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast with your host, Eric Fulmer. All right, so we're going to kind of run through the the TV shows from this past week. Starting with Monday Night Raw, we now realize why Andrade never talks and Zelina Vega does all the talking because he cut his promo and I really couldn't understand one damn word he said. The only thing I really kind of understood was something, 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 title shot. Um, you know, and they, they've done nothing to make Andrade seem like a top guy, but I mean, all of a sudden we're supposed to care about him challenging McIntyre for the, for the WWE title because of something that happened in NXT that most people probably haven't seen anyway. I mean, it just makes no sense. I like this new stable that Zelina Vega's putting together. Um, and I, I do believe that Andrade is probably, um, the guy that should basically be the top guy in that group, but he needs to not cut the promos. He needs to let Vega do all the talking and they really need to, they need to start putting Andrade in some more of these squash matches to really get him over and to tell more of a story with him. Because I'll be honest, I, I didn't, I haven't seen anything that, that Andrade and, and McIntyre did in NXT. So as somebody who's never seen that, why should I give a damn about that? You know, what, what does that have to do with, with now? The only thing I know now is you're not over enough and you're not a big enough star to even be competing for the WWE title. So they need to do more to get Andrade over if that's the direction they're going to go in and try to make him seem like a bigger star than what he is. Uh, but speaking of bigger stars, I mean, has anybody else been a bigger MVP on Raw lately than Asuka? I mean, granted, again, you can't understand a damn word she ever says, but it's still entertaining as hell. I mean, she she knows how to go out there in front of zero fans and still get herself over. And I know a lot of people go, well, what do you mean, you know? What do you mean she gets over? How can you get over if there's no fans? You can tell when somebody is over, when somebody is a when somebody is presenting themselves or being presented as a star, as somebody bigger than the moment they're in. That's being over, okay? And Asuka, with no fans in the building, Asuka is over, okay? And most of the people can't even get over in front of the fans in the WWE. And Asuka looks like a star that you could draw money with each and every week. Now, I do have to say this. Talking about the Aleister Black match, for the love of God, stop having competitive matches if you're trying to get a guy over, especially if he's going against somebody that most of the audience at home don't even know. They're bringing these guys up. They're saying, oh, well, this is so-and-so from NXT. Great. Well, all I know is they're not a star in NXT. So if they're not a star in NXT, why the hell is it taking Aleister Black seven, eight minutes to beat this damn guy? 
Go out there, squash him in three minutes, get your shit in, get in, get out, and get over. But instead, he's going out there and having competitive matches. And this is going to be something we, I, I really get into later in the show is understanding the business of your match. What is the business of this match? Well, the business of this match is to get Aleister Black over. Great. How's he over after going out there for six, seven, eight minutes with some guy nobody knows? And and it's not just Aleister Black. It's it's I've seen this several times. And, and it's not just even the WWE. So many people, and I, I put this on the producers and the agents of these matches because these agents are seasoned veteran guys that should know what the business of the match is and what the story is that they need to tell in order to get that piece of business over. Having Aleister Black have a competitive match against a guy nobody knows does nothing to get him over. Going from there again, and this match with, Akita Tozawa and Austin Theory, it was another meaningless match. There was no point in having this damn match. What was the business of their match? And if you tell me, well, the business was to get both of these guys over. Well, if you say it's to get both guys over, then you've lost. Because if you have a match with two guys who aren't over, and the goal is to get them both over, then neither one of them are going to get over. You have to know the business of your match. If you want to get Austin Theory over, which is what I think they were trying to accomplish, then he doesn't he doesn't look like a star going toe-to-toe with somebody like Akita Tozawa. Now, if he would have went out there with a Kevin Owens and, and had that kind of match, he would have got over. And, and that's not taking anything away from, from Tozawa. I mean, the, the kid's hell of a, you know, hell of a talent. You know, super athletic, has a good look, can work in the ring. But this match did neither one of these guys any favors. Because, again, if you want to get Tozawa over, have him go over on one of these NXT guys that nobody knows. Have Tozawa get his shit in, show what he can do, look like a star, let him present himself as a star, and that's how he's going to get over. Same thing with Austin Theory. And then down the road, you can put these two guys against each other, and the match automatically means a hell of a lot more than what it did. But somebody who did understand the business of their match was Bobby Lashley. I mean, he went out there, he dominated, he looked like the badass that he is, he got his stuff in, and he got over. So, understand the business of your match. And like I said, I'm going to get into this in more detail later in the show, but it's just a huge frustration that I'm seeing because now I'm having to watch all these damn shows so that I have something to talk about every week, and and it's just really pissing me off when I see these guys who are supposed to be professionals and these agents who I have so much respect for because these guys have done so much in the business. And you, you would think that all these guys would, would understand the business of the match that they're producing. And another thing that I don't understand, what the hell is the point of Seth Rollins losing to Kevin Owens at WrestleMania 36 if he's now going to be the number one contender to Drew McIntyre? Again, it makes no sense. The last time we saw Seth Rollins, he was losing to Kevin Owens at WrestleMania. He's done nothing to get his heat back other than some weird promos he was doing last week. And again, and now all of a sudden, coming off a loss, he's the number one guy. It would make more sense if Kevin Owen was the number one contender. This is why I said Seth Rollins should have won his match at WrestleMania. He wins. He moves on from Kevin Owens. Now he can present himself as the number one contender to the WWE title. And I know I'm not the only one sitting at home thinking, well, what the hell? Why is why is Seth Rollins the number one guy? He just got his ass kicked by Kevin Owens at WrestleMania. That's Monday Night Raw, skipped to Wednesday, and I have to say, I watched NXT, and I really didn't like it until the last two minutes of the damn show. 
I just, I, I could not get into it. But the ending of that show with Tommaso Ciampa getting pulled from behind and being attacked the way he was, and then all of a sudden he falls on the floor. You see these boots, and this guy crawls up behind him. I mean, it, it reminded me, if anybody's ever seen the movie Paranormal Activity, the very end of the movie, where the guy gets thrown into the room towards the camera, and the camera gets knocked down, and then all of a sudden the the his fiance or wife or whatever, who who's now possessed by the demon, crawls towards the camera and and hovers over the body and looks into the camera. It was kind of taken out of out of that kind of frame of work there and i really dug that ending because it came out of nowhere it was one of those moments where you're just like holy shit what just happened so i really dug the ending of nxt i didn't really like anything else about the show uh going to aew now again the the show it just kind of is what it was i i kind of like the the uh lance archer and cole cabana match i mean both guys good talents i think both guys got over in the match uh, you, this was really kind of Lance Archer's first competitive match in AEW that's been presented. And I think he did enough to get his stuff over to look like the monster. And I think it didn't bury Colt in the process. I think Colt actually came out of this looking better than he, than he went in. So again, it's, it's the, it's the whole thing of understanding the business of your match. Both guys understood the business of their match. They got it over, and I really liked it. You know, it was it was a good showing. The one thing I do like more than anything each week now watching AEW, honestly, is Tony Schiavone and Chris Jericho. I mean, these two guys, Jericho, I, I almost hope Jericho is is a color commentator every single week. I mean, the guy is just, he's hilarious to listen to. You could tell he's just going on the fly. He doesn't have a format that he's sitting there. He doesn't have scripted notes that he's reading off of to make sure he hits this point. I mean, like last week when he, he sees, you know, things going on and he just calls it on the fly. And he's, you know, the the one guy, what, what's his name? Say Suge D or Sage D or whatever the hell his name is. And Jericho's, you know, who the hell is this guy? Pineapple Pete? And it's just lines like that that it's just you you know it's coming off the top of his head because he's just reacting to what he's seeing and Jericho's so intelligent and so quick witted that it just produces entertaining television and commentary. I really like it. Now I have to say the one thing I don't like I don't really like the language, and the reason I don't is because it all seems inauthentic. You know I don't. I, you know, I'm not one against language. I mean, I just, you know, use some language here on this podcast. It's, it is what it is. I'm, I'm not saying don't cuss on TV or anything, but it just seems inauthentic. I mean, you, you know, apparently this past week they had a quota where they had to get the word shit in there a couple of times. Jake Hager's promo where he tells his kids put the earmuffs on and they hold their ears and he then says he's going to beat the shit out of John Moxley and it's almost like when when you're a kid and you cuss for the first time and you're around your friends and you cuss and you kind of you know you laugh and ah you know I got to say shit and you know all this stuff that's what it reminds me of when they say it 
It's almost like, oh man, we could say shit on TNT and 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 they're they're gonna be okay with it. So let's make sure we get a couple in this week. You know, from Jericho for a couple of weeks in a row calling somebody a dipshit, you know, to you know, them saying they're gonna beat the shit out of John Moxley. And I believe Jericho dropped another shit somewhere else, not literally, hopefully not literally. Um, but he said shit later on in the show and you know, he's always got to call somebody a son of a bitch, you know, because you got to make sure you emphasize the word bitch and you really get that over because we're finally allowed to cuss on cable television. Now it, it just, again, it seems forced. If, if you're cutting a promo and it comes out fine, you know, that's what happens in everyday life. When we talk for those of us that cuss, you, you just, it comes out in everyday language. You know, I know i Sometimes I'll drop a shit or a fuck or a whatever, you know, I'm from Texas. So it just comes out. It's like a comma. So that's the problem I have with it. It's not the language per se. It's the fact that it just seems forced. Um, it, it seems inauthentic. So now we go to Friday night Smackdown, I guess, I guess, is it Friday night Smackdown or is it Smackdown live? I don't know. They change their name every eight months. So it's hard to keep up. But anyway, we go to Smackdown and I, I'm already digging the Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman thing. I like the the present with the mask this week and then them kind of playing the the laughter in the background. And Bray, you, I mean, not Bray, but Braun, you could see him kind of shaking as he's holding the mask and looking at it. And next week they're going to go into this whole thing of the history between Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman. And I'm sure it'll probably be a Firefly Funhouse episode, at least I'm hoping. Again, I'm already digging this thing because it, it it's giving me more interest in, in Braun Strowman than I haven't had in a long time. And and I'm sure it's probably that way for a lot of you out there that finally for the first time you're like, well, shit, finally Braun's into something that we can actually give a damn about. So I'm interested to see where this goes. I was really shocked that, that Dana Brooke got the win and she'll be in the, uh, the Money in the Bank ladder match. And speaking of that, apparently now they, they've added a new gimmick to the money in the bank. Apparently you're going to have to, and, and this is what I gather from it. It's all going to take place at the WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut. And you're, everybody's going to start on the bottom floor and they got to work their way up to the roof and then climb a ladder and get the money in the bank briefcase. And I'm hoping we get more explanation, and I'm sure we will in the, in the weeks to come. But right off the bat, I just I think it's very stupid concept. I mean, there's nothing wrong with with having the ladder match in an empty arena. I don't understand, and 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 maybe if they explain like how this is going to be laid out, uh, as far as like how things are going to go on the roof. Because I don't think you want to climb a 20-foot ladder and take a bump off the damn ladder onto the freaking roof. You know, I don't, I don't know anybody that's going to sign up for that. I know I sure as hell wouldn't. You know, you come to me and go, hey, you're going to get up off the ladder and then somebody's going to push the ladder over and you're going to fall down onto the concrete roof. You can kiss my ass with that. I, take me out of the match. I'm not doing it. So I, I want to know more about this match. I want to know more about what, how just kind of the logistics of things before I can really give a true opinion. But as of right now, I just really don't like it. 
So that's kind of where we're at for this past week's TV. There really wasn't a whole lot memorable uh, from this past week. I, I would say if I had to, if I had to just say right off the top of my head, I would probably say the the ending of NXT was probably the best moment of the week. Yeah, yeah, I would probably say say that that was. And I think the NXT has actually been beating AEW the last couple of weeks in the ratings, which you know is good for them. I mean, they they put on some uh, they put on the Gargano Champa match last week, and that one was really good. But yeah, I would have to say that's probably the best moment of the week. So that's our recap on the uh, on the television from this week. This is the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast. So on Wednesday, the WWE went on a spree of releases. I won't call it a firing spree because as a professional wrestler, you can't ever really be fired. Uh, some of the biggest names that came out of this, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, Kurt Angle, Rusev. So unfortunately, no more Rusev Day in the WWE. But I'm going to get into in a minute kind of why this is a bad look for the time. But just to kind of run down the list here, so you had Anderson and Gallows. Along with the first wave of cuts, you also had Leo Rush, EC3, Drake Maverick, Heath Slater, Eric Young, and Kurt Hawkins. Most of those guys, they weren't really doing a whole lot with. They were doing a little bit with Leo Rush. Um, they did a little bit with Drake when with the 24-7 title, but they really kind of weren't doing a whole lot with him after that. The biggest thing, names right off the bat were Anderson and Gallows, but if you think about it, they, they had really kind of just been reduced to being AJ Styles bodyguards at this point. And I honestly feel like in the long run, this is going to probably be the best thing for Anderson and Gallows. They, they've already kind of, I think at least Carl Anderson has hinted that he's ready to go back to Japan. And, and continue working over there. And I'm sure Luke will probably go right along with him and they'll pick up right where they left off when they get back to Japan. So I think that's going to be probably good thing for them. Not so much for anybody else. And I have to say, I, I saw, I, I watched a few of the people's reactions after being released and stuff. And, and my heart goes out to Drake Maverick. I mean, anybody that, that hasn't seen his reaction, it's out there on YouTube and, and his Twitter and everything. I, I would suggest checking it out. You want to talk about somebody who, who loves the business and I, and that's not to take away from any of these other people. I'm sure they all love the business. I would hope anyway, but Drake Maverick, I mean, his, his reaction is, you know, is, is pretty emotional and, and I feel for all these men and women who have either lost their jobs or in the, in the case of the producers, they've been put on furlough, which basically means, Hey, we're not going to let you go and let you go work anywhere else. Uh, but we're not going to pay you for now. We'll, we'll bring you back down the road. Um, it's kind of a messed up thing to do. So those were kind of the first round of cuts. Then you had Kurt Angle, Aiden English, and then a handful of producers and, and agents, Shane Helms, Billy Kidman, Mike Rotunda, Pat Buck, Fit Finley, Sean Devari, Scott Armstrong, Sarah Stock, and Lance Storm. Most of these people I'm sure will be brought back. Um, I actually uh, would hope that Fit Finley goes somewhere else, preferably to AEW. And the reason being is I think he would do amazing things for their women's division. I, I, I feel like AEW's women's division is really kind of struggling right now. And they, they're struggling to find an identity 
um, as, as an entire division. I'm not talking about the individual performers. I'm talking about overall as a women's division. Um, it, it's kind of hard to to kind of grasp like the what the identity is of the, of that division. Um, and I think fit would do amazing things there. Lance, I feel for him because, uh, he basically shut down his wrestling school from what I understand and moved to go work for the WWE. And then several months later, they put him on furlough and say, okay, Lance, we're not going to pay you anymore. So it's kind of a messed up thing to, to do there. About a half hour after that, we find out that Sarah Logan and referee Mike Kyoto were released. And, and I'm real surprised about Kyoto. I mean, with all the referees they've got, I mean, Mike's been there for, what, 20-plus years? I mean, it's really kind of a shitty thing to do to release, a, you know, what's pretty much your your head referee at this point. Um, you know, he's definitely the most tenured guy that they've got there, and it really makes no sense in, in letting him go. Also, Sarah Logan, uh, if, you, if you really wanted to release a female talent, I could probably name five other ones that could have gone before Sarah. And and that's not saying that I'm I'm – advocating for anybody losing their job but it just makes no sense again the same reason why you would release mike Kyoto, it makes no sense why you would release sarah logan uh, i realize you're not doing a whole lot with her but she's got so much potential that you know i i have a feeling that sarah's gonna go off and she's gonna be a star somewhere hopefully she goes to aew i think she'd be a good fit so then about five minutes after that, we find out Eric Rowan was released, Primo, Epico, and I don't know the last time I even saw those two guys. So, you know, fi find me anybody outside of Primo and Epico that even knew they were still on the damn payroll. Uh, Mike Canellis, and then 10 minutes later, we find out his wife Maria was also released. And Osu will probably head back to Ring of Honor at some point. Um and then, let's see, about half an hour later, No Way Jose, Zack Ryder, and then the the big afternoon bombshell was that Rusev was released, um, along with Andrea Listenberger, who was actually the writer who was had come up with the Mandy Rose and Otis storyline. Uh, I'm going to say we're, we're not going to hold that against her, but she was released. And then Deanna Perrazzo of NXT, which I was really surprised because honestly, I've only seen like one or two of Deanna's matches, and I was really impressed. I think this girl, she, mark my words, and I even said this on Twitter at PW Ultra, Deanna Perrazzo is going to go somewhere, and she's going to become a star. She's going to get over. She's going to become a star somewhere, and hopefully it'll cost the WWE two or three times more than what they were paying her to bring her back down the road. So I'm hoping that for Deanna. Rusev, I'm pretty surprised, but after this whole thing splitting with Lana and, and the program with Bobby Lashley, which really didn't get the steam and the momentum they were hoping for, and, you know, it just kind of... They tried to push it and push it and push it, and I think they pushed it too much and too long, and people just lost interest. So outside of all that, they really weren't doing anything with Rusev. So when you think about the releases, all in all, they really weren't doing a whole lot with these people. Now, I will say this, as I hinted to before, it's, it's just not a good look right now for a couple of reasons as to why they're releasing all this talent. The first reason is because with the coronavirus and everything going on and, you know, people out there that are losing their jobs and struggling to get by, uh, you know, it's just not a good look for any company 
out there to be firing anybody or in this case, releasing anybody from their contracts. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, the other reason, and this is my biggest reason why I don't like this, and, and this is a really, really, really bad look for the WWE, is the story coming out, and I believe it was Monday morning, the story came out that the state of Florida deemed the WWE an essential business, which allowed them to continue running shows. And you find out later that day, or maybe it was early Tuesday, that Linda McMahon, the super PAC that she's running, gave the state of Florida $18.5 million. And it's just not a good look. You know, Linda McMahon, who used to who used to work in President Trump's cabinet, and President Trump helped get Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida elected. Um, and I and this is not to get into anything political. I mean, I, I'm I'm keeping politics out of it. I don't care which side of the aisle you you land on. That's not what this is about. What this is about is the fact that this woman, Linda McMahon, who worked for President Trump, who helped get DeSantis elected, her super PAC gives basically DeSantis $18.5 million, and all of a sudden he deems the WWE to be an essential business because they stand to lose millions and millions and millions of dollars in TV revenue if they can't produce and run their shows. So, again, it's just not a good look for you to hand somebody $18.5 million and then turn around the next day and start releasing people from their contract. So that's kind of where I land on this. Um, every year, the WWE pretty much goes on on a spree where they release a bunch of people. If they would have done this later in the year, if they had done this back in January, nobody would really be blinking an eye about it. I mean, they may raise some eyebrows about some of the people that were released. But all in all, it's, you know, it's just not a good look. And, you know, I, I wish everybody the best that, that got released. Like I said, there's a there's a couple people on here, Deanna Perrazzo, Sarah Logan. Um, I, I'm interested to see if Eric Rowan goes and joins Brody Lee in AEW and becomes part of the Dark Order. That that would be interesting. Um, but yeah, Anderson and Gallows will probably head back to Japan. Uh, some of these other guys, they'll either and and it'll just all spread out. Now here's the thing though. Every one of these people that were released, and this is another thing I really don't like about all this stuff, is if you're going to release somebody from their contract for reasons like this, they should immediately be able to go and sign somewhere else. Every single one of these wrestlers that were released, from what I understand, and I could be wrong, but every single one of them have a 90-day no-compete clause in their contract. Now, granted, that don't really mean a whole lot right now because nobody can run shows, but it's... Again, it just falls into this whole thing of it's not a good look. I don't like the cosmetics of, of this whole thing, but we wish all those all those WWE superstars the very best um, in, in wh wherever they end up in the future. And, you know, hopefully they can all go somewhere and make good money and continue to, you know, perform their craft. This is the Pro Wrestling Ultra Podcast. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about something from the inside of the, of the wrestling business. And this is going to be about understanding the business of your match. And we kind of talked about this a little earlier when I was going over the, the TV shows and, and recapping those a little bit. 
I've noticed it's an ongoing problem that too many of the guys both in the ring and behind the scenes aren't understanding the business of the match that's going on. And as, as my time as a booker for, for those who, who don't know my history, uh, I used to be a booker for an indie promotion here in Texas uh, for probably about two or three years. And I, I would always try to, to drill into the guy's heads that understand the business of your match. Know what the business is because that's how you're going to make money. You're not going to make money if you don't even know what it is you're trying to accomplish in the ring. And in order to kind of drive that home, I'm going to tell a little story here. I'm trying not to make it too long, but if you want to hear this in full detail, there's a video on YouTube. Just look up Al Snow tells the Tony Atlas story. I believe it's the Hannibal TV account. But it's a really good story that kind of drives this point home. And, and the story is, is that Tony Atlas, when he was coming up, he went to the Georgia Territory where Ole Anderson was the booker. And Ole tells him, he says, okay, you know, I want to take you, take you around the horn, take you around the loop. And tonight I want you to just go out there and cut a promo without your shirt on. Anybody that knows Tony Atlas from back in the day or has seen him, you know, pictures of him or old matches of his. I mean, the guy was just huge, thick, muscular. I mean, he was like, you know, Mr. USA, you know, he missed, you know, Mr. Olympia, if you will. So he goes out there with his shirt off and what you're doing in that is you're getting over his gimmick, which is his size, his strength, his muscle. And he goes out there and he tells everybody, he says, you know, I want everybody to come out next week. I'm going to try to bench press 500 pounds right here in the middle of this ring. You know, will y'all come out and support me? And, of course, the crowd, yeah. So next week comes, they set the weight up by the front door. Now, why do you think they set the weight up by the front door? So that people walking in could see the weight, touch the weight, and it's getting the weight over. Doing nothing more than just setting the weight by the front door so that people walking through the door can see the weight and go up and they can touch it. They can see how heavy it is, how much weight's on that bar. You're getting the weight over. Intermission comes. The ring crew brings the weight into the ring to set it up. And every one of them are selling this weight like it's the heaviest damn weight they've ever seen. Even if it's a 45-pound plate, they're selling it like it's 100 pounds. Again, you're getting the weight over. Tony comes to the ring. Tells everybody, I need all your support. I need your prayers. I need your love. I need your support. But I also need y'all to, you know, I, I need it quiet. I need full concentration. You know, but I need your thoughts. I need your vibes. I need all this. So Tony lifts the weight off the bar. Brings it down. Weights. 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 Pushes the weight up. Puts it back on the rack. The whole place comes up. What has Tony done in that instant? He has sold the gimmick. And he's gotten over. Now everybody who has walked through that front door, past those weights, seen how heavy it is, seen how much weight it is, has just seen this guy bench press this right in the middle of the ring. Do you think Tony's over? Do you think his gimmick is being this huge powerhouse 
you think that's over? You're damn right it's over. So Tony tells everybody, I appreciate your love. I appreciate your support. But you know what? I'm going to need it again next week because I'm going to have my first match right here in this ring. Will y'all come out and support me? Of course, everybody in the house. Yeah. Next week comes around. He's wrestling a guy who's about the size of Finaki. And much like Al says when he's telling the story, it's not a knock against Finaki. He's a talented guy. He wouldn't have lasted as long in the WWE if he wasn't. But... We're just using this as a size comparison between Tony Atlas and somebody the size of Finaki. Now, Tony wanted to have the best match on the card. And if you're in the business, you know, how many of you want to have the best match on the card? You know, damn right. You want to have the best, best damn match on the card. You know, you want to go out there and steal the show. You want to have the best match on the card. You know, you, you want to have Savage and Steamboat. You want to have the best goddamn match on the whole card. So Tony goes out there with this guy. Goes a good 12 minutes, pins the guy, goes back through the curtain where Ole's waiting for him, and Ole's fuming, pissed off. And Tony goes, well, boss, what'd you think of the match? Ole says, thank you. Tony's like, no, thank you. Ole's, no, 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 thank you. What are you, what are you talking about? You just killed the fucking business. Killed it dead. And Tony's, well, what do you mean I killed the business? Did you hear that crowd? It was over. He says, okay, let me explain it to you, dummy. And he pulls Tony and his opponent over in front of a mirror. He says, if you knew nothing about professional wrestling and you saw you two guys come out, how long would you think it would take for you, Tony, to beat this guy? Not very long. Took you 12 minutes. So they said that just killed Tony in one night. They had to take him out of the territory. It took him about two years before he could come back to the Georgia territory because he just killed his entire business. It's like, how long did it take Tony to get over? Not very long and not much effort. How long did it take to kill Tony? Took him 12 minutes. Understand the business of your match. Tony should have went out there and dominated that match. It should have been short and sweet. Tony should have got his shit in and he would have been over like a million bucks. You got to understand the business of your match. You watch AEW the past few weeks and you watch Lance Archer come out and he's crushing guys half his size because in that instance, Lance Archer and the, whoever's the agent for his match understands the business of the match. Business of the match is produce Lance like a, a monster, like a killer and get him over. That's what they're doing. Going back to what I said earlier about Aleister Black. Aleister Black's a badass. That's what he's produced as. That's what he's being pushed as. That's his gimmick. He's a badass and he's a fighter. So if he's in a ring with a guy a lot smaller than him that nobody knows, why is he going seven, eight minutes with the guy? Because he doesn't understand the business of his match. If you're listening to this and you're an up-and-coming guy or girl in the wrestling business, take my advice. Know the business of your match. You got two purposes when you get in that ring, to be the one that sells tickets or to be the one that helps sells tickets. If you're not one of those two people, you shouldn't be in the ring. And if you can't define which one of those two you are in any given match or program, you shouldn't be in that ring. 
Your goal is not to go out there and dazzle people with a bunch of fancy moves. Anybody can do that. I can go to the damn circus or the Cirque du Soleil and see fancy moves. Know the business of your match. When you get in that ring, when you show up to the building, you find out who you're working against, you should immediately be asking yourself, what's the business of my match? What are we trying to accomplish here? Usually the booker or in the bigger promotions, the agents, whoever. They should tell you what the business of your match is if you don't already know. But you should know because you should be thinking about this at all times. You shouldn't be worried about how big your social media account is. You shouldn't worry about how many followers you've got on Instagram. You shouldn't worry about getting back to your room or your house and playing your video games. This is the business you've chosen. Why aren't you treating it as such? Why is it I can go to any indie show in the country and there ain't a damn person in any of those matches that understands the business of their match? And I know there's a lot of people that are going to go, well, who the hell are you? What do you know? You've never been in the ring. You're right. I've never been in the ring. I've been around this business since 1987. I spent three years as a booker. I've studied this business since I was a kid, not even realizing that I was studying it. I absorbed what works. I've seen what doesn't work. I've seen what gets over. I've seen what flops. This is kind of the first time in any of my episodes where I've kind of dug into the actual business of wrestling. And I know I said in the first episode that I was going to kind of try to do that. And I will as, as more episodes go on. But this is kind of a problem that I'm seeing on every single show every single week when I turn on my television. You've got to understand the business of your match. If you're a big badass heel and you're going against a guy half your size, don't go out there and have a competitive match. If the guy that's putting you over doesn't want to put you over strong, then find somebody who will and work against them. Look at the Lance Archer-Colt Cabana match from this past Wednesday on AEW. They understood the business of their match. The business was is that you got to get you got to continue getting Lance over as this monster and this killer. Okay, well, how do you do that without burying Colt like you've squashed the last couple of guys? Well, they figured it out. Colt's a smart guy. He knows how to tell a story. He knows the business of his matches. And if Lance didn't know the business of his match going in, then I'm sure somebody got with him and explained it. But I'm pretty sure Lance has been all over the world. He understands the business of his matches. Because both guys came out of that looking like a million bucks. Even Colt losing the match came out looking better than he went in because he understood the business of his match. And that's what I'm trying to get across to you. Whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter because nobody's actually winning and nobody's actually losing. But how do you draw money? That should be the biggest question you ask yourself. How do you draw money? You draw money by understanding the business of your match. Years ago, Ric Flair, when he was the NWA world champion, would have matches against guys like Ricky Morton. And Ricky understood the business of his match. He always came out looking like a million bucks. So the biggest thing I could say is, again, understand the business of your match. And I know I keep repeating that over and over again, but I feel like at this point I almost have to because you turn your TV on on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday night, and you watch several matches where nobody knows what the hell the business of their match is. So, now that I've kind of gone off on that rant, look look on Monday night, look on Wednesday night, look on Friday night next week. I want y'all to, if you're, if you're watching or listening to this on YouTube, drop me a comment and tell me a match you see on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday of next week or if you can go back and watch the ones from this past week, tell me a match where you see they don't understand the business of their match. And again, if you're in the business 
and you're a worker in the business, work on this when you're away from the ring. Right now, since nobody's running shows, you ought to be able to work on all these things. Work on telling a story. Work on cutting a believable promo. Work on understanding the business of your matches. Look back at matches you've had and ask yourself, what was the business of that match we had? That's how you learn. That's how you get better. That's how you give the promoters and the bookers the things that they're looking for when they bring you in for a show. It's, it's not hard. It's just that so many people nowadays aren't being trained to do that. And it's a shame because when, when guys and girls did do that and they did understand the business of their match and they went out and performed that way, they actually drew money. And I'm worried about these, these guys and these girls that just got released from their WWE contracts because several of them have never been sat down and taught this because now they're going to have to go out to another promotion and try to draw that promotion money, and they may not have the tools to do it. And again, that's not a knock on these people. It's not, you know, I'm not saying, the, you know, these people are shit and they don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, it just, it is what it is. I mean, if you're if you're a pitcher in Major League Baseball, you know, nobody's going to say you ain't worth the shit because you don't know how to hit. Well, you really haven't been working on that. You've been working on pitching. Same thing with these people. They've been working on what they've been told to work on. Now they've got to leave the nest and fly on their own. And several of them haven't been given the skills and, and the mentality to go out there and understand the business of the matches that they're going to have in the future. 